This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship S-A-S-S. We're on a mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where few science podcasts have gone before. We're going to discover the science that looks to explain the mysteries in the skies and tell us once and for all the truth about UFOs. This week, we are going to make first contact with the world of ufology and speak with the one person who knows it best, Ryan Sprague. We're going to look at what ufology happens to be and how Ryan conducts his research. And in our SAS class, we're going to discuss with Ryan how the study of UFOs, believe it or not, has become more mainstream than any of us imagined. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to probe your brain with tales of the unknown and how we're trying to find answers. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. Have you ever looked up to the sky and seen a light you don't recognize? You know it can't be a star or an airplane, and it's too big to be a satellite. Instead, it's something different, and it's like nothing you've ever seen before. Three letters immediately enter your mind. U. F. O. Now, why is a science podcast looking at UFOs? Well, when you think about it technically, an unidentified flying object can be anything that is not identified. It's just that those three letters have become synonymous with extraterrestrial spacecraft. There's an entire culture revolved around UFOs. People across the globe are working tirelessly to find an answer to those sightings that defy human logic. And when you think about it, that's the basis of science to discover answers to how the world and universe works around us, especially when we don't understand it. In science, there's always a method that needs to be followed. One must have an objective, a hypothesis, materials and methods, results, and eventually, if possible, a conclusion. And using these methods, we've been able to decipher what many UFO sightings happen to be. Weather balloons, ball lightning, satellites, and in our modern era, drones. But not every sighting can be explained, and for that, more research needs to be done. Enter ufology. While not considered a true branch of science, the world of UFO research has grown to a point in which basic researchers, former intelligence agents, engineers, psychologists, and yes, even lawyers have become involved in the pursuit of answers. 
Granted, we're not about to see papers in any scientific journals anytime soon, although there was a short-lived one called the European Journal of UFO and Abduction Studies. But the results are popping up in places you may not have imagined. ABC News, Science Channel, Travel Channel, and most recently, the CW Seed Network. One of the people dedicated to this research is Ryan Sprague. He is one of the most prolific contributors to the dissemination of ufology. There's a good likelihood that if you see ufology on TV, Ryan is involved. Now, apart from his television work, he also is the host of his podcast, Somewhere in the Skies. If anyone can tell us about what ufology happens to be, it's him. What is ufology? Ufology is sort of a self-proclaimed term, Jason, I would say, that we have created in what we call the UFO field. It's honestly just the study of UFOs. It's as simple as that. It encompasses everything having to do with unidentified flying objects, literally what the acronym means, a term that was actually created by the U.S. Air Force. A lot of people don't know that. And this was to downplay the high strangeness aspect, or I guess more importantly, the national security implications to these objects being in our skies and our own military not being able to identify them or to even stay up to speed with them when they would intercept these things in our skies. So uh, it's sort of a term that we're trying to move past in the UFO field. There's so much baggage that comes with it, but it has stuck and it's kind of what we are left with. So we kind of just run with it at this point. A lot of people believe that ufology is interchangeable with aliens. And from what it sounds like, that's not really the case. It's trying to solve a mystery that's not explained. I feel like I spend half my time when either I'm doing interviews or documentaries and whatnot, explaining to people that you have to separate the alien, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, as it were, from the UFO. We have absolutely no definitive proof that these UFOs, what everyday people are seeing in our skies are alien. Now, we have claims, we have theories, and it is definitely a viable theory as to what these are, but we don't have that definitive proof that what we're seeing in our skies has anything to do with aliens. So I'm glad you you brought that up because I do feel like I spend a lot of time and energy separating the UFO from the aliens. Who or perhaps what was the spark that started people wanting to learn more about UFOs? We've had UFO reports dating back to ancient times, but when it comes to, I'd say, the, the peak, the modern UFO era, as we call it, back in 1947 when the Roswell incident happened or uh, Kenneth Arnold famously saw nine what he called flying discs in the sky over uh, Mount Rainier in Washington, this is where the real modern UFO era started. And these cases, these early cases, were investigated by the U.S. Air Force and the government under Project Blue Book. And that was headed by a guy, an astronomer named J. Allen Hynek. This guy is like the UFO dad for us in the UFO field. <laughs> um, okay. He was hired to... Uh, to to debunk these cases. He created two really important classification systems that we use to this day, actually. First one was relatively distant sightings. So we're talking like just lights in the sky at night. Everyone sees these things. And a lot of the times we can't explain it. The next after that came daylight sighting. In mid daylight, people are seeing 
objects of all different shapes that they can't identify. And the third classification for these distant sightings are radar visual sightings. So this is literally, you know, connecting an eyewitness report to possible radar data. That was sort of the way we started with with UFOs. I guess more famously, Hynek is known for the close encounter classification system. You know, everyone knows the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but he started it with Close Encounters 1, which is a UFO sighting where a witness or an object, it does not interact whatsoever with a person or the environment. He moves on to Close Encounters 2, which is a bit closer. Witness can clearly make out an object or see some sort of physical effect on themselves or the environment. And then we famously have Close Encounters 3. And that's perhaps the most, I guess, sensational or most interactive where a person sees some sort of occupant or intelligence behind what they're seeing, this UFO. So, you know, Heineck created this system after being extremely skeptical of UFOs. He wanted to narrow in and find an explanation for all of them, but he couldn't. You know, he worked for this project for many years, and there were over 800 cases that the Project Blue Book could not readily explain. So kind of the most famous debunker originally of UFOs did a 180 and became one of the most uh, outspoken individuals on the possibility that a lot of these UFOs could be of extraterrestrial origin. And uh, that's what excites us most is even when the government tried to debunk UFOs and tell the public there's nothing to worry about, uh, we find out that there might actually be some stuff to worry about and to continue searching for out there. And I guess that really hits on a point that ufology for so long has never been given the credit it deserves. But now it seems like there's more evidence suggesting that indeed it is a credible branch of study. Yes, things have drastically, drastically changed within the uh, the UFO discourse, I would say. It's a subculture. It's a community of people who, like like we mentioned, sort of live in the shadows in an echo chamber preaching to one another, UFOs are real, UFOs are real. Uh, they go to these conferences. They trade old UFO books about cases from the 40s, the 50s. I think what's really change, Jason, is the overall perception of the UFO phenomenon. The acknowledgement, I would say, by both our government and the scientific communities. For so many years, you know, since Project Blue Book, they've been saying there's nothing to UFOs. They pose no threat. There's a prosaic explanation for most, if not all, of these things. But then we come to find out, you know, within the last couple of years, and even us in the UFO field did not know this, that the government was still investigating UFOs. There was a secret Pentagon UFO program that had been running for almost a decade looking at UFO reports from strictly the military. So we're talking about Air Force, Navy, Army, pilots, soldiers reporting UFOs. And this came in the form in the New York Times, an article where several Navy pilots came forward and said that they had seen objects over the water when they were doing training exercises, interacting with their own aircraft and making impossible maneuvers, you know, ascending and descending thousands of feet in the air within seconds, which to me sounds, and I'm sure to these Navy pilots, that's impossible. No human being could survive such a thrust or a, um, a propulsion such as that, such as that. So that's when it really started changing when finally 
mainstream media was covering the UFO topic seriously with this New York Times article. And it was sort of a snowball effect from there. Now we, we are seeing these headlines all over the place or on the news of UFOs are here. We don't really know what they are. The military doesn't pretend to have any answers, but we are looking into them and we have new protocol to report them within the military. So when you have your own military and government saying UFOs exist, that is a huge, huge step because they did not do that for so long. For me, the real question now lies in what are they, who's in control of them, and what do they want? We, we're in a new, I would say, paradigm shift when it comes to ufology and what it can be, what it was, and potentially what it means to all of us. Yeah, it's a new era. It's exciting. I am finding myself reinvigorated. You get so caught up in these things and um, I guess tired at times because no one was really listening for so long. But now we've been given the microphone and we're, we're screaming it from the rooftops, man. UFOs are here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ufology strives to follow similar methods to other branches of science. However, in most cases of UFO investigations, the materials for concrete analysis are simply not available. Most evidence is related through recounted observations. There's nothing tangible. And therein lies the issue with ufology as a science. Instead of hard data, we hear stories, see drawings, and are witness to photos and videos which may be blurry or pixelated. And that brings up the issue of trust. Can we trust the people who have experienced a UFO sighting or some other type of encounter? Would you trust me if I told you I've seen a UFO? Twice, in fact. Trust is hard to gain and easy to lose, but for Ryan, the way to build that trust as you start an investigation is to open up your mind and listen. What is your objective being an investigator? My objective mainly is to listen, Jason. I, I'd like to say my objective is to solve the UFO phenomenon. That's like my, my dream if it were to be as an investigator. But I don't think we're anywhere close to really doing that. Sobering to feel that way, but it's just like any other feel the science like it continues to progress and just when you think you have an answer something turns around and shows you differently so my objective is really just to be a listening ear to those who have had the courage to come forward with a ufo report when i'm not doing this investigating ufos i am a, a writer a playwright mainly here in new york city 
And I've always been fascinated by characters, you know, people and how they change, you know, within the course of a play, your character, your main character, as it were, needs to change somehow. And the play also has to be the most pivotal moment in their life or one of the most pivotal moments or otherwise, why are we following them? So for me, it comes down to the people having these UFO experiences, people in all walks of life. There's these cliches that only people in the backwoods drinking beer are the ones reporting UFOs. And that's simply not the case. It's doctors, it's law enforcement, it's professors, scientists, priests, you name it. These are the people reporting UFOs. So for me, it comes down to the people and sort of shedding that stigma or ridicule factor that comes with talking about UFOs. For me, I hope that once I start hearing those stories, once more and more people come forward, we can begin to normalize the topic and have bigger, wider, and more insightful conversations about the UFOs. It sounds almost like what we call knowledge brokers in uh, science. Where you're taking the experience of the science and you're putting it in such a way that it becomes relevant to the public. When we do it, we have to go through academic journals to be able to share information, and then we have to sort of translate that. For you, you, you go through very different means. Uh, ABC News, Fox News, right. Science Channel, Travel Channel, Mysteries at the Museum, your podcast, Somewhere in the Skies, and now the show Roswell, Mysteries Decoded on CW. How do you manage to be able to share what you hear in such a way that it still is meaningful to an audience? It's exciting to see how sort of, I guess, mainstream media outlets cover the topic of UFOs. Usually it's a very surface level or sensational approach. I mean, you have so many of these television shows of people going out and hunting down ghosts or hunting down aliens. And it's usually for entertainment to be completely honest, even yeah. when it pretends to be informational or educational. And I often use this term, Jason, I love this infotainment. <laughs> there has to be this way, you have to engage an audience. And that's what television is for. But you also have to inform them. And as an investigator moving into that medium of television or documentaries or movies, I don't want to lose sight of informing the public with what I've discovered, what me and my colleagues have come up with. So with shows like Mysteries at the Museum or Roswell Mysteries Decoded or our upcoming series, Mysteries Decoded, where we go deeper into other stuff, I've strived to sort of break that routine and really make the topic of UFOs something more than just cool or scary stories. I want people to think and, and not forget what they just saw or heard. So many of these shows, you watch it, hmm, interesting, move on with your life. You don't even think about it the next day. I want people to go out and search the cases that I cover on Mysteries at the Museum or Mysteries Decoded. I want them to Google it the next day and get caught up in that rabbit hole I did when I first started reading about these historical UFO events. Roswell, Rendlesham in 1980, another famous UFO case. Uh, there's so many rich case histories out there of credible UFO accounts. And it's cool to see a two-minute segment on the news or on a TV show. But when you really start to dive in and get to the core of who are seeing these things, what's been reported, that's when I know that it's leaving a lasting impression. You know, in my field, we've got anti-vaxxers. They frustrate us so much. 
They spread disinformation, and when you try and put good information out there, you get trolled. I imagine ufology must be suffering that same frustration, considering it's already having a bit of a difficulty trying to just be relevant as a science. Absolutely. And I try, Jason, to steer away from politics when it comes to UFOs, but there's, there's no way around it. There are several of my own listeners of my podcast who contact me almost weekly or daily, and they try to convince me to cover, like, let's take the flat earth theory, for instance. Like, I'm, I'm very open-minded, clearly. I'm a ufologist. I'm very, very <laughs> open-minded. But there comes a point where, you know, the information I choose to cover, let's say, once I disseminate that out to the public, people do listen to what I have to say. And, and I'm not saying I'm always right or always eloquent or anything like that, but there's such things like the flat earth or anti-vaccine that are simply anti-science, let's be honest. And, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous to the public. And I can say right here, right now, I do not in any way, shape or form promote anti-vaccine, flat earth theory, or things like, let's say QAnon. These are conspiracy theories based on extremely bad information, sometimes even disinformation. And it's, sometimes it's just pure fantasy. So for us in ufology, it's super hard when you're dealing with phenomena that seem to sort of defy logic and break all the rules of our own scientific method in terms of like physics or time and space, even chemistry sometimes. How do you even begin to really look at UFOs scientifically when you have these detractors, as you said? I like to think of UFOs as kind of the punk rock version of science. It rails against <laughs> everything we're taught. So UFOs as punk rock, uh, I have several colleagues who write specifically about this. It refuses to play by standards or rules. State the facts, progress with the science, and to ignore those who are trying to stop that. It's SAS class time, and today we're going to look at how ufology may be more mainstream than you might imagine. A few months back, a 21-year-old named Maddie Roberts made a single social media post suggesting that people all gather to storm Area 51. It's thought to be the hub of UFO intelligence, engineering, and maybe some aliens. Before he knew it, the post went viral, and some 1.5 million people were on board for their own invasion. If you're worried about the aliens, don't be. The raid has been called off because of some not-so-subtle warnings from the U.S. military. Now, Ryan has talked with Maddie Roberts and has his own perspective about the mainstreaming of ufology. And as we're about to find out, you're going to be hearing a lot more about UFOs as time goes on. How is it possible that so many people decided to sign on to what was initially a joke? That is a... Really good question that I'm still trying to figure out myself, to be honest. It's the epitome of an idea catching on. And in this day and age, it becomes a meme. This is the age of social networking. And just, it explodes for no apparent reason. To me, it's almost as enigmatic as UFOs themselves, if you really look at it. I've personally spoken to Maddie Roberts, the kid who started this whole storm area 51 facebook event and he is just as blindsided and overwhelmed by all of this as i think anyone would be when they find themselves caught in the middle of internet viral experience he's confused 
He's scared. He's curious. Uh, but he's also being very cautious. And I think that's a really good thing. He told me that the FBI actually came to his home to question him about his motives with this Whoa. raid Area 51, alien stock, whatever it's sort of manifesting or morphing into. They wanted to know what his intentions were from the start with this whole thing. And he told them it was a joke. It's two in the morning. I was, I was high. I was like questioning <laughs> life elsewhere in the universe. I, I watched a documentary about Area 51 and listened to a podcast. And I just jokingly said, let's find the aliens at Area 51. So we're kind of wrapped up in something that this guy, Maddie Roberts, never expected. And he's trying to sort of make the best of it and embrace the platform he's been given. It's kind of not so much a storm the gates of Area 51. It's let's have a good time in the desert. Let's get some music, some barbecues, some beers. But let's also educate people about Area 51. What is the history behind this, this place? It goes back really far. Some of our most advanced aircraft were developed here back during the Cold War and everything. So let's have people that worked at Area 51 come talk about the stuff they can talk about. And uh, let's also get physicists out to talk about how if we are in possession of, let's say, a UFO that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico, was shipped off to Area 51, how do we begin to reverse engineer a technology we know nothing about? So it's pretty cool. They're getting scientists. They're getting UFO researchers. They're getting uh, bands who love to sing about aliens and stuff out there to make it something fun and educational, like I mentioned earlier before, finding a way to bridge that gap between entertainment and information. My only concern when it comes to this, man, is you know there are going to be people who go out there and try to breach that gate at Area 51. And I, I'll be honest, I was out there about a month ago at the gates of Area 51. I have experience with this. They do not mess around. And when it comes to people wanting that Instagram photo or that YouTube video to go viral, you know someone's going to try it. So I just hope, 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 and pray that people are smart enough not to do anything. Because at the end of the day, it's a military installation. It's there for a reason. It's highly guarded. And we need that sort of defense when it comes to protecting our own country here in America. It seems like it is mainstreaming counterculture all over again. We saw it with Woodstock. We saw it with Burning Man, Coachella. Goodness gracious. Kanye is now having Sunday service at Coachella. It's almost like there's an underlying message that the world is ready to accept ufology and also possibly the idea that we really are not alone. Yes, and Alien Stock is a prime example of that, Jason. You make a good point that we have been a counterculture for so long. The subculture of tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists, UFO people. And now, because of these stories coming out with Navy pilots acknowledging UFOs, you know, the New York Times or uh, Fox News or CNN covering UFOs at a constant rate now, we live in a new age and we are becoming mainstream. And Alien Stock is a prime example. You have companies like Bud Light Overnight, mind you, after this thing went viral, create an Area 51 beer. So that's <laughs> oh when you know, like, you have hit mainstream. That's tough, because you look at things like Woodstock or Coachella, and it started as one thing, and then it becomes such a bigger 
beast or monster and people start to really profit off of it, take advantage of it. And in terms of like alien stock, look at this town of Rachel, Nevada. It's the closest town to Area 51. I was out there, like I said, a month ago. This is one small restaurant and a couple trailers. That's it. Thousands and thousands of people may, when this alien stock thing happens, venture out there. And this small town just can't be ready for something like that. But they are going to do whatever they can to take advantage of that and milk it for every penny they possibly can. And honestly, I can't blame them. If, if you're a struggling town on the cusp of possibly another recession, why wouldn't you take advantage of tourists? My greatest hope is that people can sort of move past alien stock and funnel their time, their energy, their money, even for something worth helping. Not demanding answers from a national defense military installation, because that's never going to happen. But maybe, maybe they can help the environment somehow, or, you know, world hunger, things like that, that actually matters. So I hope alien stock can provide those sort of organizations, some sort of platform at their event, you know, donate any type of proceeds to charities. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see when it comes to that. I find mainstreaming a topic helpful when it comes to finding answers to questions. And I'm wondering if you believe that mainstreaming is going to be able to help ufology answer the big questions that they have. We see this with Alzheimer's, with cancer, muscular dystrophy, with the telethons. It helps to raise money, but it also helps to develop answers. Do you think that we're going to be getting those answers faster as a result of something like alien stock? I think that ufology really represents that carrot being dangled in front of us, to be completely honest. I don't think we're ever really going to reach it. I think whatever UFOs are, they are so beyond our concept of our own reality, our own logic, possibly our own science, to really get that answer. And I also don't think there's one answer to UFOs. They could be a million different things or represent things completely different. But in terms of what you mentioned, you know, let's say curing cancer, Alzheimer's, um, I hope we do those things first. I hope we do a lot of things before we solve the UFO question. And I might get uh, pillaged by the UFO community for saying something like that, but I love the journey and the people I've met in terms of ufology, the stories I've heard, um, some of the things that I've even seen. But I also have family members and friends and a job and a whole other life outside of UFOs, as I'm sure you do or your colleagues. And we have real world issues that need attention. So I'm hoping maybe some of the technology these UFOs represent that we're witnessing coming from the military or uh, civilians, maybe this technology someday could be harnessed to better humanity, help cure these diseases. And that's a huge hypothetical and, uh, you know, something I, I don't think we could ever really predict, but I've lost family members. I've lost friends to disease or drugs or mental health issues. So if we can focus our energies again on being better humans, I, I think we could really be better off when that day comes that maybe an alien race does decide we're worthy of making contact with them, let's say, or we finally earned that spot at the galactic table. But for now, I like what I'm doing, uh, my contributions to the UFO conversation, and I'm enjoying the journey. I think UFOs really say more about ourselves than it possibly could any sort of alien race. Well, that's it for this week's SASCast. 
I hope you have a new appreciation for the study of UFOs and maybe may want to get involved in finding answers. Remember, the truth is out there. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We want to thank everyone who has been listening. Your support is overwhelming, and we want to show that gratitude by taking your questions and answering them on the show, usually in the form of a theme. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps spread the word and gets more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Ryan Sprague. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Kelsey Campbell is our on-site audio producer and editing whiz. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. And as always, make sure to show him some sass.